You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Father Justin Waltz. I'm Father Josh Waltz. Brothers in blood. Brothers in the priesthood. And the doctor's in the house. Dr. David Flodshacker, how are you doing you this are, morning? You are on straight Good. talk. How are you guys doing? Good. You're on straight talk with <laughs> the brothers. brothers. And we're gonna right. we're asking you to give it to us straight this morning. Uh, okay. We got a, a whole uh, half hour here. We got Dr. David Flodshacker, and I think, do we have one of the students, too? Yes, we do. We have Grace Kettle here. Awesome. So Hi. she can give it. Hey, Grace. We can. She can give us a little uh, input as well. But kind of first, I just we wanted to step into uh, the. We've kind of we were talking with the bishop about reclaiming Catholic identity, right? During uh, during this pandemic. Well, I mean, far prior to that, leading up and into the pandemic, we've been slowly, slowly, slowly losing the Catholic identity, right? And and now it's right. gotten even into, we, we've lost Sunday uh, in the sense of it being, you know, keeping holy the Sabbath. You know, we were talking with the bishop about, you remember growing up and you had, you come home from mass and then dad and mom would cook breakfast and then you'd hang out in the afternoon and, you know, it was a family day. It was a day dedicated to God and we've kind of lost all that. Um, and so maybe if you can speak to, uh, for all of you that don't know, Dr. David Fleischacker is the principal at St. Joseph Catholic School, uh, which is the school that I'm in charge of. <laughs> and uh, he is also in charge, he's also the principal of the School of the Holy Family, uh, which is the junior high, the adolescent program we have up there. So maybe if you can speak just a little bit to kind of reclaiming Catholic identity. Uh, and how that's being done at the school, and specifically through the Montessori method. Right. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a, there's a few different pieces on that. Um, I'd say through the the uh, Maria Montessori herself was an Italian uh, and uh, Italian medical doctor originally. That's how she was trained, and uh, she had um, had almost by accident ended up. Uh, working with children and teaching them and discovering kind of a new way to educate them. And, um, and the, the key, I think, difference for her method is that it really incorporates uh, a Catholic understanding of the human person into the whole way of teaching so that when a child is with us or when we're talking about the education of a child, they aren't like the, a lot of the modern industrialists and that. Just think of them as kind of this empty, empty vessel that you pour information into. Uh, day in and day out, and then eventually the finished product comes out at the end. Uh, her whole thing is that there's a there's a real human soul that has to be formed and nurtured and cared for all through the years, and uh, and you have to respect that. And if you don't respect that, you're basically treating them like a, just a cog in a machine. And so that's so her method was all designed based on things that really feed the human soul. And so that's that's a real difference in the understanding of the human person. I think that's a, that you find, and that's the, that's one of the Catholic roots that she brings to the whole meaning of education. Um, the other pieces that we that are really key in that too is really treating the parents as primary educators. That they have a responsibility that God's given to them with the gift of their children to to really care for their children's souls, um, both here on earth and in and for eternity. And uh, and so really seeing treating parents. And relating to parents 
as the primary educators and that we're here to help them in the education of their children. We're not here to take over their children's education for them. Um, but then working with the parents in a very loving, gentle way at times just to, to, um, to both respect who they are and what, they, what their role is as, as the primary educators of the children, but also to, um, uh, to uh, help care for their children and work with them in the education of their children, again, both for life here and for eternity. And so trying to, trying to, to uh, bring back a uh, real Catholic way of life, day in and day out, as you're saying, just on Sundays, uh, the rhythms of, of, of life have become so, uh, at times, fast-paced, but at other times just kind of chaotic, uh, trying to bring back some just common-sense stuff to, to life, um, bring back the faith into an everyday prayer life. So we, we start off every morning with prayer, uh, with part of the, uh, the, the Liturgy of the Hours, which is the ancient prayer of the Church, uh, we have, um, there's, there's bringing the faith into the different dimensions, but also then trying to reawaken uh, the right use of, of our brains, our intelligence, our reason, uh, which a lot of that's been lost, too, which you can see all over the place. So just how bringing you, those, you, all those pieces back together as Catholic. How do, you, how do you specifically do that through the curriculum? You know, because we're kind of, we're more than anything focusing, I think, on the, the adolescent program. The adolescence, um, yeah. Well, uh, I think the key thing there is that uh, uh, the tradition, I think our Catholic tradition has a very rich, rich tradition in education at all of the different levels. And at the adolescent level, um, they're, they're, in a way, coming to discover who they are, what the world is that they live in, and also where they fit into that world. And so um, one of the, the, some of the different methods that are used are are a lot of the Socratic methods, so discussions, debates, dialogues, but also then letting the kids, the, the students work on projects with each other, um, allowing them to creatively use their own minds in a free way, rather than always, you know, through assessments as well, through quizzes, exams, trying to drive them along in education. You're letting them be creative and working things out. Yeah, you know, I can't uh, speak enough to it even as myself. Now, I don't have a doctorate, everybody, but I do have a master's in education. Uh, and I have seen, as the delegate of Catholic Ed in this, this diocese, I have seen this process uh, begin to unfold. And I don't think it's a, you know, it's not rocket science or even maybe better said a secret out there that public education nationally is a disaster, uh, you want to see on the coast are proving it right now. Teachers do not care about their kids. All they do, they care about themselves only. But uh, what Dr. Fleischacker is really uh, nailing here is that so much of it is just, you know, linear teaching in which I'm going to uh, pump you full of a bunch of whatever, and then you're just going to regurgitate it on a test. And so long as you can regurgitate it, well, apparently that is intelligence. There's no process of integration, and really, I think the right word is formation that's taking place uh, with students, and that is so unbelievably detrimental. And I I, I mean, there's academic formation, there's social formation, you know, and and you need the school. I mean, if you don't have a school, if you you don't have social formation, and that that it can become a major problem. So. You also, though, need good academic formation. You need religious formation uh, and uh, spiritual formation. Um, and that's what this Maria Montessori just, I, I really think she's a saint, to be honest. But uh, anyway, I have a question for you here, doctor. But just I want to give out the number uh, to call in, one eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. 
one eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. The, doc, the doctor's uh, in. Yeah, the doctor's in. If you have questions uh, about education, this is the man, free of charge right now in Sons of Thunder, that you're able to call in and ask those questions. Or Facebook. We had a big too. benefactor pay for this Yeah, one. big benefactor. <laughs> this is a $10,000 segment, everybody. <laughs> anyway, please call in. Now, now Dr. Flyshacker, um, and I, I, I want you to speak to this because I, th- I find it incredibly inspirational, and I think... Uh, hopefully others uh, will too and maybe even follow in the same footsteps. But you had an incredible career uh, out at the University of Mary teaching, and you discerned with your wife uh, that you were going to take, I would assume, a massive pay cut and, uh, and, and stepping out of the hey, university. Hey, 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 man. <laughs> cheap people. You're talking whoever, to his boss right here. the cheap pastor hey. is over at St. Joseph. <laughs> but anyway, you discern this with uh, your wife, and now you guys are kind of on mission uh, leading and teaching the, in this school. Yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, both of us had gone down the university paths. We went from undergraduate we were at St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota originally. That's where we met, got married, uh, and then we went on to graduate school out on the East Coast at Boston College, at uh, Catholic University of America, and then uh, and she was at George Washington University where she got her, um, um, where she, she picked up her PhD as well in immunology and virology. And uh, I went on to, to study systematic theology. Both of us actually met in science. We were both started off as science, she stayed with it in the science world. Um, after my undergraduate years and some graduate courses, I went on to uh, philosophy and then off to theology. And then we went down the standard track of teaching in youth colleges through the years, and um, she was doing research for over 12 years at the NIH and at the dana Farber Cancer Institute up in Boston, and then at the Navy Medical Research Institute in, in Washington, D.C. And so before we moved out to the back to the Midwest, where we're from, uh, she was doing research all those years, and uh, and then picked up when we moved to. We actually moved to Yankton first uh, when we came back to the Midwest. I love Yankton; uh, it's a beautiful. Yep, area. and we we uh, taught at Mount Marty College, and she taught science. I taught uh, uh, I taught in really actually taught philosophy for those years, um, and that was my first kind of full time teaching job and hers. And then we went on kind of a, a career track of again university life and. Um, worked our ways, our, our lives up in the ranks of professor. I got I was full professor uh, by the time I left the University of Mary, and um, I became a chair in Fort Wayne when we were there for five years. Uh, yeah, the chair, chair of philosophy and theology, um, and then became dean of the School of Arts and Sciences at the University of Mary for nine years, and that was our career. But all the, during those years, I had been studying and researching. Uh, St. John Henry Newman and his work on education, and then Maria Montessori came into the picture back in 1998 for me, and that's how I connected with her and realized that her understanding of the human person was much more of a profoundly Catholic understanding of the human person, and that led to a much different way of educating children and adults. So what what specifically led you to say, I'm going to go be a principal to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to go to go from you know the rigors of academia uh, to you know like last night we were just had our our children's house yeah. concert where you have that little kids uh, little kids jumping up and down concert. you know yeah. singing to yeah. Jesus so what 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 made that shift happen? Uh, well, at the beginning of uh, Lent in 2019, uh, I had uh, 
I had, I was doing all this work with uh, Newman and with Montessori over these years, and I was asking. I decided to dedicate the whole month to uh, um, to asking God, what should I be doing with the Montessori and with Newman? Um, and and over the course of Lent, there was a lot of beautiful graces that God gave to me, um, especially during adoration. I went every day and uh, tried to pray the full divine office and literally the hours during that time, and just kept trying to wait and listen. And God kept showing me things about how I need to get back involved in just helping, working with families, the evangelization of families through in and through their children, uh, and that this is going to be a very powerful way to do that. I saw how trying to bring the rhythms of family life back into education rather than the rhythms of industry was a key in that. All these things kept unfolding. And then as you know, I, I started calling friends and that that I thought could help you with this work and do it while I was dean at the university. And uh, I kept thinking, well, okay, so I'll stay the dean, and then uh, someone else that I know will pick up and start running with this for, for me. And toward two-thirds into Lent, I went on a retreat down in Phoenix, and we stayed at, um, at a, in a kind of a mobile home on the south side of Phoenix in the inner city there. And uh, at a place where they're actually doing some of this work that I'm talking about with Montessori and the faith. And, uh, and then we came back, and suddenly I just started having these. Every time I was in adoration, God is saying, I want you to do this work. I want you to do this work. And I kept saying, I don't know how it can be done. I don't know how it can be done. And, I, and so I was trying to envision all kinds of ways that I could do it as the dean of the School of Arts and Sciences while I was still the dean. And uh, right toward the end there, just before Easter, it became clear at one time I just was, I was in adoration there, and God just said, I want you doing this, and I want you leaving everything behind that you're, you've done and that you've worked for all your life. Don't you um, love those moments? <laughs> yeah, and, and I didn't believe that, of course, for another couple of weeks, <laughs> but because I just kept saying, really, how, 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 you know, I can't, I, can I just up and walk away from everything? Um, I That's like a Joseph, my, Joseph moved to so, Egypt moment. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but at, at, at one point I was, I was working with Monsignor Shea and he had asked, he, he, he'd asked me if I could do both, uh, and, and see if I could work out. So I prayed for it another week and I just came back and said, no, this is pretty clear. God wants me to take this step. And it's a pretty big leap. Um, by then I had, you know, I talked to my wife about it and she was praying about it as well. And in the end she just said, she said, uh, she said, all I know is not where you're going. I'm supposed to go. So that's how it, how it landed in the end. And I had, in the middle of that, while that was happening, uh, Father Josh Walsh, you, you had called me asking if I knew anyone who could be a principal at a school. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that very vividly. <laughs> I think after that, that was right at the moment when everything was turning, and I called you back, and I said, well, I, I think maybe I'm the one that's supposed to be that person. Would you want to go with that? <laughs> and, you said, and, you, yeah. and you said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a pretty intense uh, couple months. I remember that very clearly. You know, yeah, you said... You said something, you know, with with your wife. She is now the directress of the junior high or the adolescent program at at, at uh, St. Joseph's. And maybe you can talk a little bit. And maybe Grace, you can you can speak a little bit here too. Just uh, you know, what what do you see? Uh, you know, what do you what do you love about this style of learning? What are the challenges of it? Um, <clears throat> so yeah, and if, if for those of you that are listening, you know. We started with we were shooting for ten kids. Like we, <laughs> that was yeah, that was a, that was a high number for us. And 
and it keeps yeah. uh, it keeps growing. We keep picking up kids, you know, probably one every month or so, you know. And so, I think we're what eighteen now. We're eighteen now, yeah. <clears throat> so right. anyway, yeah, if you could speak a little bit to that. Well, I'll just say a couple things, and then again, then Grace here can fill in what she what she likes about it. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the students that we've that have come into the school are have been formed most of their life in the standard setups, and so I think one of the big challenges for them and for us is. How do you, because they get a lot more freedom. They have these work cycles in the morning, a three-hour work cycle in the morning, three-hour work cycle in the afternoon. And during those work cycles, um, the directress, my wife, will, will do various kinds of lessons with the different students, um, sometimes it's on math or language or science. Uh, I, I'm running the atrium, which is the religious education piece there. Father Josh, you're, you're, Walt, you're, you're doing the character formation piece. And yep. so um, we we work with the, the either small groups or one on one or sometimes in larger groups uh, the students during these work cycles. But then the rest of the work cycle, those students are are they schedule themselves and they organize themselves and they work together in groups. Um, the big one of the big transitions there is that they're not used to that. They're used to the you know fifty minute you know. Uh, classroom times, a lot of them, if they've been in the standard school, and so their time was always organized for them. Um, the assignments that they had were always given to them with deadlines that they had to get done at a certain point. Uh, we still have deadlines, we still have assignments and other things, but there's a lot more freedom in this, in, in organizing themselves. And that's part of it is that one of the big things here is they, they are discovering themselves and their role. It's like what confirmation does, right? It sets them off. Now they are called to to stand up with fortitude and courage uh, for the faith in the face of the world and in, in culture. And so in the same way here, they, they are finding their place and what they are going to be contributing to to this world. And so you give them a lot more freedom in trying to find that, uh, to take initiative for their own their own lives and for who they are and what they're about. And that's probably a big, that's a big, big change for a lot of them. Um, and, and that freedom takes a while for them to really support to sink in and then also to embrace it. But um, with Montessori, the thing is, is that these things are built for the soul. So once the soul does start, once a child or a student does start to embrace it, they, they just keep embracing it and they're running after a while and you can't hardly slow them down. Uh, and when you see that happening and you see how fast they're learning, it's a whole different ballgame. And that's what's exciting about it for me. Um, and at the same time, getting there is the challenge. So, <laughs> right. That's always the challenge. <laughs> yeah. Building building the culture. Building the culture, yeah. Well, let's hear from Grace. We got a student uh, <laughs> with us in the house, Grace and uh, she's experiencing this firsthand. What do, you, what do you think of the school, Grace? I really enjoy it. I have always been, like, a visual learner, so... In fourth grade, I never, I didn't really understand anything, and my mom was working at the same time, so she didn't have, like, a lot of time to work with me. And then the next year, when I started Montessori, it was really helpful for me, especially, like, in math, because I never understood anything in math. I could never, like, see why something was working. And so when we started, when I started doing Montessori and working with the visual materials they had, I understood it more, and I was able to get the concepts more quickly. And as, like, I've progressed through the years, math has become one of my best subjects rather mm. than one of my worst because I understand it more with the visual um, concepts to it. So, and, like, 
there's a lot more responsibility to it, and sometimes that responsibility can get overpowering. We're not we're not necessarily overpowering, but it can get to be a lot. And I know some sometimes that's hard for me, and it's hard for everyone. But I really like that because it helps get me and other students into that responsibility. And I think it would help. Like I think it helps young students get into their responsibility earlier rather than when they're in. Now, Grace, what what grade are you in, Grace? Seventh grade. Okay, you speak like a senior in high school. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, the other, I mean, that's that's one of the things that Montessori, the method is known for, is initiative. So, like, you know, even the even the young kids, they don't they don't come up to the teacher and like, what do I do next? What do I do next? What do I do next? It's just they move from work to work, so they make that choice. Uh, which is which is pretty neat. And if you want to see what Grace is talking about, we actually just had an adult learning night, uh, or sorry, parent learning night, and we filmed it, and you can watch it at, at stjosephmandan.com. For all you people that didn't graduate them high school years, <laughs> come to St. Joe's and learn something. Uh, but, it, but it actually shows, it shows from children's house to lower L to upper L, the, the progression of the math cycle. And you'll see exactly what Grace is talking about, how the, you can actually physically see what's happening in the math it's not just on paper it's it's actually physical in your in front of you and that helps a lot of kids learn uh we do have a question that came in for you dr flashacker it says can this montessori be applied to high school and college learning in that form uh so there's more freedom with assignments and and work etc yeah yes it can and uh, and that's what in fact that our, our adolescents and then high school would also be similarly structured as the lower adolescents. Lower adolescents is basically grade seven through nine. Upper is twelve through or ten through twelve. And the general period, it's really adolescent period from as they hit adolescence around you know twelve, thirteen years old, all the way up through eighteen or so. There's a similarity in how they learn, and that's where you, you use a lot more of the Socratic method. You use a lot more of discussion projects. Uh, they work on common projects. Um, Montessori really wanted them to get out, especially in those early, in that lower adolescence, more to a ranch and a farm to do some work there, but also to learn about creation and nature and the natural order of things. Uh, and so there was a lot. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot more activity. Um, the difference between like elementary Montessori and then adolescent Montessori is that adolescent Montessori is more like you're working with a lot more raw materials, you're creating a lot more things, you're building a lot more things, you're making things, you're going out and doing stuff. And so, um, and you're living the faith out in the world, and uh, you're, you're acting more like a prophet, you're acting like a missionary. You're, those are the kinds of things you do, especially during that adolescent year, and again, those years. And that's where, again, the, the key there is then the person is finding their place in the world and how they're going to contribute to it. So that's what they're exploring during all those years. So the Montessori thing, the key, the method is really about learning about the nature of the child, the character of the child, the characteristics of the children at different stages, and then the young men and women at different stages, and then building the education all around that rather than ignoring that nature. That's a Nietzschean move. You know, that's a relativistic thing is to ignore the nature of something and pretend like nature doesn't matter, just it's all built of power. Yeah. Well, with Montessori, you pay attention to where the child is at. So at, once they get to 18 years old on up, um, I think there's a shift in the mindset uh, a little bit in the college uh, years, and for a lot of years, I tried to implement pieces of this, but it's really hard in modern university settings to do that, to implement a Montessori model, but there is. She wrote on it, actually. She wrote on the uh, university level as well. 
Um, at 18 or so, I think they're not only trying to find out their place in the world, but also all the people and things and places and communities they want to give their lives for. And that's why that's the age where people, you'll find people going off into battles and wars, uh, missionaries going off and risking their lives. Um, the, one of the women I always, the, the, she's, she's died recently, but the woman who I learned a lot of this from always thought that young priests should, they should, we should have a missionary force that goes out and gets dropped into tsunamis for priests and that from helicopters. <laughs> that was, that's kind of the spirit of that age is they, they want to give their lives something to the point where they're, they're willing to give it all away. And so you need to, that's the 18 to 24 year bracket is where they're, they're searching for that for who and where the vocational kind of, I want you know, to give my life know, away. It's really interesting you bring so, that up because if you think about it, that, that age bracket, 18 to 24, like yeah. that, that is the, what I would call like the fighting spirit. <clears throat> that's when yeah, you have yeah. the most like energy you want to take on the world. And if you can form a heart and a mind and a conscience, around Christ, that's where you get, like, if you look at a lot of the, you know, in, in, in the history of the church, like a lot of those powerhouse missionaries, martyrs, yeah, yeah. they were in that age bracket. I call it the under 24 club, right? If you're in the yeah, under 24 right? club, it means you were a saint before yeah. you were 24. I'm 41 and I, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm getting yeah, worse I'm getting getting there. there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, that's how Alexander yeah. the Great conquered the world with, was with that age group. But the problem that I think that we're faced with right now, I mean, just hearing you speak, doctor, I'm sitting back thinking to myself, like, this is exactly the way it should be, and I wish the majority of our young people in this country, in fact, live this way. But, you know, most of them are not discerning what to give their lives to. They're addicted to pornography or video games or right. affectively right. they've been so stunted by the culture that they're not reaching 18 until they're 27. Now they're not growing up. And so no. by that time, you should be in a whole different, you know, I, I right. live and die by the fact that you got to, you know, most of that 18 to, I, I would say to 25, is an, it's a particular awakening. You know, yeah, in which yeah. you know now you're 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 getting married, you're you're maybe finding your vocation, whatever it might be. But then when you hit 25, like you settle from 25 to 30, and then I call 30 to 40 your empire building stage because that's when you have yeah, wisdom right. and power. Right. And, and yeah. if you don't get it done, then you know that's where the people hit that midlife crisis, right? They wake up at 40 yeah, something, right. and they're like. I can't get I any of these years back, and I have totally squandered <laughs> yeah. everything. And so I need to change right. it. I get a divorce and leave my job, and you know, go start yeah, over. Right. Yeah, start all right. over because that makes Regain people my happy. 30s, it's, you right? know, it's really, really working. Yeah, but right. no, it right. doesn't work. And so the, I, I think you know no, one of the work. one of the main things that we have uh, addressed in Catholic education across the diocese is the reason why we're doing what we're doing. At the end of the day, for those of you who are listening, is we want your children to be happy. That that that's the key to this whole thing is happiness is the one word in, in, in formation and in a better way of educating and spirituality and all of these things Amen. Uh, are are so essential and they're just not getting it in the public systems. I, I don't know how else to say it, but we want to thank Dr. Fleischacker for being on with us. We uh, have a break coming up, Dr. Thank you. We hope to be able to. Hey. Uh, and Grace, you were wonderful. Uh, say hi to all the students <laughs> yeah, for was. us. We'll see you some other time on the Sons of Thunder show. Until then, everybody, stay tuned because we've got the Kraken coming. (laughs) 